Amen. So today is the last message in our time talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And we learned at the beginning of this series, way back when we started, that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most written about portions of Scripture. It's one of the most studied passages of Scripture. It's the longest teaching of Jesus consecutively uh, that we have recorded in Scripture. And we learned that this was the part of Jesus' message about the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is sharing about the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel. And he's teaching us that this is how a disciple of Jesus lives. The Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus reducing what it means to be a disciple and bringing that to his followers. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow Jesus and reproduce what he has done in you in others, then the Sermon on the Mount is a place that you really want to begin in studying what does that look like, how does Jesus want us to live. And so now as we come to this final section, Jesus draws all this teaching to a close with a short story that is packed with meaning about two builders and their houses. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know this story without me even reading it. We're not going to sing it. We're not going to do hand motions, but it's there just so you have it in your head for the rest of the message. Okay. So Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So since this story is at the end of a long teaching on what it means to be a disciple, uh, we need to begin by asking ourselves the question, how does this connect with the life of a disciple? What does this look like, this story of two builders, how does that connect with the life of a follower of Jesus? Because discipleship ultimately is about building something. That's what discipleship is. It's about leaving a legacy behind you. Some people have a limited understanding about discipleship because they think it's just about themselves. Well, I'm a disciple. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a believer. And that's where their understanding of discipleship ends. And obviously those things need to be true if we're going to walk that path of discipleship. But if you just stop there, you have an incomplete and a self focused perspective an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and if you read any of Jesus teachings at all you'll quickly understand it's not all about you in fact very little of it is about you you see a disciple ceases to be a disciple if they're not reproducing themselves in others a disciple ceases to be a disciple if they are not reproducing themselves in others. You can't have a disciple who is not passing on what they are learning and modeling that for those around them. And so at the end of Matthew, if you fast forward to the end of this uh, gospel, Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples as to how they're supposed to carry on once he's gone. Now that he's leaving, here's what he's leaving them to do in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's interesting that you, you come back to this Sermon on the Mount and the story of the wise and the foolish builder. And really the wise builder, the one who does it the right way, the one who is a true disciple, is the one who is hearing and obeying the teachings of Jesus. Then you go to the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, and you see what Jesus says. He says, what does he do? He says, make disciples, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So there's this bookending of the Gospel of Matthew in the beginning teaching of Jesus here, showing us what it means to be a disciple. And then at the end in Matthew 28, Jesus is saying, now go make more. And guess what? All you got to do is do what we did up here. So it's this bookending of Jesus' teaching. Discipleship isn't just about living. It's about investing. It's about building something that is lasting, something that will endure. Uh, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by telling us how you can do exactly that. And that's our passage today, to build something that will last for all of eternity. And one mistake we can make as we look at this story is to immediately start thinking of how different these two builders are. Okay, rock, sand, got it, done. Uh, but there is a ton of similarity and overlap between these two builders that it's important to pay attention to if we're really going to get the full message of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And the first thing that we see that they have in common is that they both heard the teachings of Jesus. This wasn't one person who wanted nothing to do with it. This wasn't one person who said, yeah, forget that, I'm not even going to listen. No, they both heard the teachings of Jesus. They heard the word. The opening words of Jesus to describe each builder are the same. Anyone who listens, anyone who hears. The Bible tells us that hearing is important. We need to hear that. You have to hear about Christ before you can believe in Christ. Paul tells us that in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Hearing the gospel is that initial moment of awareness, of awakening that happens in us. And the root of our faith is hearing the gospel. We've got to hear it first. That causes the truth to take root in our lives, and we go from there, and we grow from there. So hearing is vital to faith. Read the word. Listen to good biblical preaching, which leads to the final point here. Jesus talks about my teaching. Anyone who hears my teaching. And so the emphasis is not just on the words. The emphasis is on the speaker. Who's doing it? These are Christ's words. This is Jesus speaking. And it's critical that we hear the word of God and that we hear the message about Christ. The first similarity between these two builders and their houses is that they both heard the words of Jesus. They both heard it. Now, as we continue to look at the similarities, we see that Jesus includes everyone in this story. No one is exempt. No one is outside of its purview. Anyone who builds this way. Anyone who builds this way. And we learn right away that Everyone is building something with their lives. We're all building. It's not if you build, it's when you are building, build this way. You are building something with your life. We're all building a life. You're, you're building a life step by step, stone by stone, decision by decision, minute by minute, day by day. You are building a life. You're building a legacy. And you only get one chance to do it, and you don't want to waste that opportunity. That's why 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, 
but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is you have one foundation and that is Jesus. And you can't build on any other foundation because it won't work. Paul is saying if you're going to build something that lasts, here's what you have to do. So it comes back once again to this teaching from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Recently, the Pew Forum, which is a, uh, a research organization on religion and public life, published a major study on religious affiliation, so denominational ties, beliefs and practices right here in the United States. And one of the significant findings was that 70% of all Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. 70%. Including 65% of people who self-identify as a Christian. And the most surprising finding was that 56%, over half, of all evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than faith in Christ to God and eternal life. Over half of evangelical Christians. Now, tons of people were shocked by these numbers, so much so that Pew Forum went back and did further polling to make sure that respondents didn't have in mind maybe other Christian bodies or other Christian denominations, you know, those types of things in their mind. And no, their earlier results were absolutely confirmed. Over half of evangelical Christians are building on sand. That they don't have the foundation. They believe that there are many paths to God, not only Jesus. And I just want you to know, just in case there's any question, there is one way, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other name by which we can be saved. The Bible is crystal clear on that subject. There is no other way but faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. And I want you to know that Trilogy will always have its foundation on the words and the teachings of Jesus. We will never follow a current trend or a feel-good teaching or a shortcut that leads to brief success. We will always build on the foundation, the bedrock that is Jesus and his word, always. And that never changes. The word of God is eternal. It is consistent. It never will change. And at the end of the day, we don't get to go back and rebuild. We can't do it. You can only build on what you have already started. And at the end of your life, you don't get to go back and have a do-over. Each one of us will stand before God and he will see the end result of our lives just as it is. Both men in Jesus' story built houses and we are all building a life. And then the third similarity is this. Both houses were tested. Jesus uses almost identical language to describe the testing. The rains came down and the floods came up. Uh, both builders built a house, and both houses were tested by the storms. And the idea here is that we will all encounter storms in life. It may be the loss of a job, it could be health issues, it could be the loss of a child or another loved one, but when the storm hits, it is a time of testing, and no one is exempt. This life is full of storms. And here's the thing, these trials that we will face in life will reveal your faith or they will reveal your lack of faith. As we go through trials, as we go through storms, it will reveal what our faith really looks like. 
We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 about trials. Peter says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So here's the amazing part of this. We're going to face trials, yes. Not one of them will be pleasant. That's the nature of a trial. No one likes to go through it. No one enjoys the experience. But as we go through it, things are happening. We're being strengthened. We are growing. We're becoming better equipped to live the kind of faith story that Jesus needs us to live. And it's not because of who you are and how well you weather these storms. It's really not about us at all. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is going to see us through. And how we build in life is going to be the difference maker. So let's take a look at that because that's the most important point of this entire story that we're looking at this morning. You've probably seen those, those picture games before where they have two pictures that are virtually identical you know, and then as you look more closely, you find the differences between them, and you got to spot the five differences or whatever it is. And in the picture game, the differences are usually minor. They're unimportant details that are difficult to find and track down in the images. But here in Jesus' picture of these two builders, the differences are major. They are obvious, and they are meant to stand out. They are the basis for the point of the entire story. And the first and primary difference is this. Even though both heard the words of Jesus, one of them put them into practice, one of them followed them, and the other did not. That is the primary difference in this story between these two individuals that Jesus is referencing. And the main difference here is what the listeners do with what they have heard. That's the difference. What do they do with what they've heard? Jesus does not say, he who hears and understands is a wise builder. Or he who hears and admires my teaching is a wise builder. Not even he who hears and believes is a wise builder. But instead, he who hears and does. He who hears and puts it into practice. The gospel of Jesus is an active gospel. It requires action on our part. It's intended to be lived. The good news isn't to be heard and stored and tucked away and stored for later. It's designed to transform your life and transform others through you. That's what the gospel is designed for. Both builders heard Christ's words, but the first builder put Jesus' words into practice, while the second one did not. Hearing is important. We need to hear the truth of God's word, but it is not enough to hear. Reading the Bible, being in a neighborhood group and talking about it, listening to sermons, these are all good in and of themselves. But what will you do with it all? How will you put it into practice in your life? The contrast in Jesus' story is not between hearing and not hearing, but between hearing and doing. And so I just want to remind all of you, because so many of us who are part of church life on a regular basis we hear all the time. The question is, what mechanisms do you have in your life? What accountability methods do you have in your life? What self-discipline issues do you have in your life that cause you to take what you are hearing 
and live it. What does that look like for you? When the storm comes, people either prepared or they didn't. Hurricane Ida is coming through right now. Every time a massive hurricane like this comes through, there are warnings ahead of time. They give these warnings, board up, lay the sandbags, and get out of Dodge. Go. Some heed the warnings, some don't, and some lose their lives because of it. I, I was reading the initial projections today. They're estimating that there will be somewhere between three and 5,000 people that lose their lives as a result of this hurricane. Everyone hears the warning, not everyone obeys it. And Jesus is laying this out very, very plainly for us. Follow the red letters. Listen to my teaching. Now, they weren't red letters for Jesus. You get that. But, uh, you know, listen to what Jesus has to say. Follow my words. Follow my teaching or you're lost. Listen to what I say and then do it. Hearing and doing are two completely different things. Any parent of a teenager understands this principle perfectly. Okay? I want you. Hey, can you do this? Yeah. Ten minutes later. Hey, hey, I asked you to do this. Yeah, I heard you. Bag of chips and a video game controller in hand. I heard you, doesn't matter. I don't care if a child hears me. What I want is obedience. I want action. And here's the thing, all my kids can quote this to you. Uh, they will know this instantly as soon as I begin talking. But my whole life, I have gone with this principle that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. There's no middle ground. You're either obeying or you're not. You can't wait to obey. You're disobeying while you're waiting. And that is true in our life following Jesus. There is no wait. You're either obeying the teachings of Jesus or you're not. And we need to remember we're not saved by what we do. The good things you do will never get you into heaven. We are not saved by our works. We're simply saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible's clear on that. But at the same time that that is true, true faith in Jesus will always result in good works. True faith in Jesus will always result in a life filled with good works. 1 John 2. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. John does not pull punches. Obedience is critical when it comes to being a true disciple. These people have built their house on the sand. Following Jesus is one of the evidences that you truly believe him. Jesus doesn't mean perfect obedience here. None of us are perfect. We're not. But are you following Jesus? Are you doing what you hear? That's the first difference between the two builders. One of them put Jesus' words into practice, the other did not. The other primary difference we see between these two is this. One built his house on the rock, the other built his house on the sand. Now both houses that they built probably looked similar from the outside. They could have been built identically, painted the same, followed the same design, but there was one major difference hidden from human eyes and that was the foundation that it was built upon. The foundation is the most important part of a house. It doesn't matter how good a job you do with the rest, how carefully you build, how beautifully you decorate, how many wonderful things you collect inside. If you don't get the foundation of that house right, everything else is coming down. The foundation is critical. 
You need a strong foundation for a house and you need a strong foundation for your life. Your life might look very similar to someone else's on the outside. In fact, theirs might even look better. Better job, more money, all the success markers that the world uses to determine who's winning in life. But what are you building on? What is your foundation? Because ultimately, that's all that matters. 1 Corinthians 3, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Only Jesus and his teachings as found in the Bible are a solid foundation on which to build your life. All other ground is sand that will lead to collapse. And how foolish is it to spend our entire lives building on a weak, collapsing foundation? Because the end result is locked in. When the storm came, the house built on the rock did not fall, but the house built on the sand collapsed completely. Matthew 7, 25, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Incredible words of encouragement for everyone who is building their life on the rock of the teachings of Jesus. Not just hearing, but obeying, living. When the storm comes, your life will stand. Nothing will knock your life over because our life isn't built on the principles of this life, but the principles of eternity, of God's kingdom. When Paul wrote about his troubles, and Paul had many, he said this in 2 Corinthians 4, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And Paul lays it out just about as plainly as you can imagine right there. We're going to face it. We're going to deal with it. We're going to go through it. But at the end of the day, we will stand if our foundation is Jesus Christ. When you build your life on the solid foundation of Christ and his teaching, you will withstand the storms of life, and you will remain standing on the day of judgment. That's your destiny in Christ. When the storm comes, your house will stand. And it's a huge encouragement to those of us who are disciples of Jesus. But it's also a powerful, powerful warning for everyone who builds their life on the sand, on the wisdom of the world, on their own ideals and principles. Matthew 7, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And Jesus says, if you build your life on the sand, your life will end with a great crash. And the words signify complete ruin, complete and utter devastation. It is gone. And sometimes that happens in this lifetime, but it always is made clear in eternity. Proverbs 10, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. And that word lasting there means eternal. We have a foundation that will stand through eternity. It will never fail. It will stand throughout this life, but most importantly, the foundation we build on in this life will serve beyond this life as well. Matthew introduced the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus going up on the mountainside, sitting down to teach his disciples while the crowd kind of peered in and started to grow. Now he ends with the response to Jesus' sermon. And the response was simply this, the crowds were amazed. Matthew 7, when Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. 
And the word that is translated amazed here literally means to be struck out of your senses, to be dumbfounded. So when Jesus finished this sermon, the people were left slack-jawed, just reeling in amazement. They couldn't believe what they had just heard. Because Jesus did not teach like their teachers of the law. Their teachers were always citing this rabbi or that rabbi, always appealing to what others had said for their authority, just like so-and-so said and just like this guy said, but not Jesus. He was his own authority. He promised blessings that only God could provide. Where other teachers quoted other rabbis, Jesus quoted himself. Uh, even the Old Testament prophets, who definitely spoke with authority, always began their teaching with, thus says the Lord. Right? That's how they would indicate that they are speaking as a mouthpiece of God. Jesus prefaced his teachings with, but I say to you. Jesus spoke with authority. And Jesus is saying that to you and to me today. But I say to you, hear my words, put them into action, and build your life on the rock. The crowd's response was amazement. But the real question for you and me today is what will your response be to Jesus? Amazement is a good start, but it's not enough. It's not sufficient. The crowds were amazed, but they were still on the wide path that leads to destruction. They had not entered through the narrow gate by responding to Jesus in faith and obedience. Both of these men in the story, the wise builder and the foolish builder, had the same opportunity. They both heard the same words. They both heard the teaching. It's not a difference in ability. They both started out on equal playing field. It's not a difference in the houses. They built similar houses. It's not a difference in the trials. The storms were the same. The difference, the only difference was in the foundation. And that foundation is action. It is obedience. It is hearing and putting into practice. So what will you do with what Jesus has said to you? How are you building your life? What is your foundation? Do you want to build something lasting? Something that will withstand the storms of this life and the storms of judgment that will come on the other side of this life? Then build your life on Jesus. Build your life on his words. Hearing is good, but it's not the end. We can't just hear the words of Jesus in this incredible Sermon on the Mount. We have to put them in the practice, and that's the foundation that every one of us needs to build on. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for this powerful teaching about what it means to be a disciple, about what it takes to live for you. And Lord, we've heard it, but now I pray that you would help us to live it. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment this morning. I just want to ask this morning if you're here and you would say, I haven't been building my life on the rock. I've been building on sand. Because maybe I've heard stuff, but I haven't put it into practice. I, I know about Jesus, but I'm not living for Jesus. I would love to pray with you this morning and give you an opportunity to, to put your faith in Christ and to start to build on the bedrock that is faith in Jesus. And so while you guys are all just kind of bowing your heads and praying and praying for those maybe on either side of you, if you're here and you would say, Pastor Jeff, that's me. I need to, I need to make a real faith commitment to Jesus today. I need to put my faith in him, and I need to begin to build on the foundation that will never crumble. And if that's you, would you just lift your hand real quickly, and I'll pray for you this morning as we end the service today. I just want to give you that opportunity to respond.
to do something, not just to hear, but to respond. All right, God, we thank you for each person here and for the calling you have on each one of your, our lives as disciples of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us build on that solid foundation. And as we do, God, let us build something individually as followers of you. But God, let us build something collectively. Let us build something that's going to transform our church. It's going to transform our community. That's going to transform life after life as we reproduce ourselves as disciples in others. We thank you, Lord. Go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.